In today's episode, we talk about Spice, the Atreides, and the little planet called Arrakis. It's my review of Dune, the graphic novel. Welcome to Panelism, the podcast where we talk about the comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf. I'm Taylor Trask, and with me, I'm Todd A. I hope so. I hope so. We've had a few. Uh, we've had a few technical hiccups, as is you know sometimes the case. But I think we're up and running right now on on both yeah. sides. So, and I feel like I I blew my banter before the call. Like I should have told the D and D story right now. <laughs> No, because then, so Todd, just for for what he's talking about, Todd gave a, a spiel about his D&D playing today. Had you started that now, we would be 20 minutes into this episode before even talking about today's book. So I'm glad you didn't, because I can I can rage talk D&D with the best of them, as we've talked about. That's true. Episodes. This would have turned into a D&D podcast, but then we would have, maybe we would have had three episodes done. Who knows? Yeah, maybe, maybe that's all right. Well, no, we're, this is a this is a bit more of a um, classic episode in that we're just going to be talking today about one book, and yeah. um, and going deep on that particular book, and and really, you know, kind of back to the the main the main uh, tagline of the show, which is the comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf. You know, we talked last uh, last episode. You and I both have a a backlog and a TBR pile. That's you know, we don't need to necessarily get anything new for the rest for the rest of the year, let, let alone the rest of the decade. Um, and we could yeah, you know, really good. go deep on a lot of books. So I think we're we're set for a little while. Yeah. And I, I love this idea to just jump back into like talking about books and especially with uh, our whole theme of just like hit and reboot or redo on the whole year of 2020. <laughs> yep. No need to talk yep. about what we're doing inside our houses. We're reading comics. That's right. Now, uh, I actually had a different book lined up for today's episode um, and ended up, I had texted you yesterday saying, actually, let's punt that to February um, because yesterday I ended up going uh, to the comic shop for the first time in a while and was only going to grab one or two things, which I did. But also when I was there, um, I got today's book devoured it as I kind of expected I would, but in such a way that I was like, man, I got to talk about this today. So oh, wow. the book I did pick for today, we'll talk about in February, which is actually more fitting, I think, because it's more you know, kind of a love story and Valentine's Day and all that. Um, for those of you listening who want to you know, get a head start, that book will be The World of Adina by Moebius. So look forward to that. But today I am talking about the freshly released, hot off the presses, Todd, brand spanking new book, um, Frank Herbert's Dune, the graphic novel, book one. Uh, and this is, you know, this is something that I'd been hearing, you know, I, I heard them talking about making it or, or, or creating it. And actually, um, I have been reading the companion series on, uh, by Boom Studios called uh, Dune House Atreides, which has been an ongoing series for the past couple months. Really good series, by the way. All of the covers are excellent and um, it's actually hooked me you know, pretty well. So they're on issue, I think three, I saw an ad for, for this book today, uh, uh, at the back of issue two. So I was like, Oh, it's out. And then when I was in the shop, they just happened to have two copies left. I was like, you know what? Might as well. Um, you know, I need it on my shelf anyway. And it's, it's another way to consume this story. And then I looked and saw that it was Brian Herbert and Kevin J Anderson who are adapting it. Brian Herbert, of course, is the son of Frank Herbert who has himself gone on to write many books in the Dune universe. Um, some good, some the questionable. Dune-iverse. The Duneverse. <laughs> yes. Um, so Brian Herbert's involved. And then I just kind of I, I flipped through it to make sure the art jived with me. And it did. So I was I was very happy to pick this up. Um, so it, like this, I said, it, uh, oh, go ahead. This is an adaptation of the original novel. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, and it's not, I mean, and we'll get to, we'll get to that in, in a bit. Um, I'll talk more about the adaptation itself. Um, again, by, you know, adapted by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson and illustrated by Raul Alain and Patricia Martin uh, as well. So it's it, nice collaborative effort. 
uh, published by Abrams Comic Arts, which I have not heard of before. I don't know if you've seen anything by them before. No. Um, makes me wonder if it's not a either newer or a newer publisher or one that was traditionally more focused on novels and is is getting into graphic novels. You know, this is one of those books that you would easily see, just as easily see in a Barnes and Noble as you would in your local comic shop. So it's it's got a lot of of um, you know opportunities to be sold and marketed and all of that. The well, cover, yeah. I will. Oh, go ahead. I, sorry for a sidebar so early out of the gate, but is this um, okay? So the Denis Villeneuve uh, movie that's coming out is that a remake? Uh, unrelated to, I mean, it's it's an adaptation. It just, it's an adaptation of the the original novel as well. Right. Um, okay. But this is not connected to the the graphic novel. Is not in any way a um, book version of the film. Like they're un, they're disconnected. Oh, oh so, right, 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 right. But but probably like you were saying, it's you'll find it in big bookstores and and you know it's obviously going to be heavily marketed and things like that. And I'm wondering if it's, you know just to build hype around, uh, you know dune being rebooted oh basically. i'm sure i'm sure there was coordination with the with legendary who's who's the studio behind the dune movie the, or the latest dune movie um i'm sure there's coordination i'm kind of glad that got delayed because this would have come out or, you know right as that movie was hitting its its stride right and probably would have created some confusion people you know thinking this is the graphic novel adaptation of the movie it is not so i'm glad that there is you know the movie's still to come you know we're living in, in early 21 the movie got delayed sometime this year i'm sure um, so I'm kind of glad that the graphic novel got to kind of live on its own and not be confused in the market for, for other adaptations that are coming or still to come. Um, it's worth noting too, this is the hardcover edition. I'll only be talking about the hardcover edition. I only recommend the hardcover edition though. If you want to grab it digitally, the, the panels really lay out, um, much like many sort of cinematic stories, the panels have a really nice sort of storyboard feel, but this is one of those where I, I want to be a purist about the medium. You know, if you if you have the original novel, great. If you have, you know, the David Lynch movie or the sci-fi miniseries, great. But buy this physically for the fact that it is a graphic novel that really tries to use the medium to tell this particular story. Um, so I'm going to lean, lean heavily into that. Um, let me jump in real quick because I think it's like you 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 questioned before. This is an adaptation. This is not a um, you know a, a sort of a reinterpretation or somebody trying to put their no, their own stamp on. This is a very loyal adaptation of the original novel, right. and as such, they really wanted it to stand alone as as a loyal adaptation that aesthetically is its own thing. Like they didn't want to try to you know make it make the costumes look like the sci-fi series or make Paul look like you know, he was in the, in the um, David Lynch movie or anything like that. I mean, there are some similarities just because the way the characters are described in the books, you know, you have to have, you know, the way hair color is or, or anything like that. You're, there's going to be some similarities, but for the most part, this is a, a very much a true to the spirit that Frank Herbert uh, set out when he, you know, when he wrote the novel. Um, some little, a little history though, because I really want to, we have to talk about the novel before we talk about the, the comic adaptation. Which you are a uh, fan of, right? I, like, you know, I'll give you a kind of a quick history of my my relationship with this series. I was in college when the sci-fi miniseries came out, and especially when Children of Dune uh, aired. Uh, you know, sci-fi back in its you know, in the old days in like two thousand two thousand one did. Um, you know, they did Dune as a two-parter, and it was you can look at it now, and it's definitely a, a, a lower budget TV show. But they did a lot of things really right, and I think they took some really adventurous risks with aesthetic and costumes and, you know, sort of, you know, what's, what's, you know, a universal kind of space opera would look like at that point. So I, you know, I like it. I'm a huge, huge fan of Children of Dune though, which came out, I think, you know, in 03. Um, and it's got a young James McAvee as, uh, Leto Atreides and, uh, several, I mean, Susan Sarandon's and it's, it's a really, it's, it's kind of like, you know, if, if, if they did it today, it would have been a much higher quality thing, but it was kind of like at the very beginning of quality TV and people were spending money on, you know, and making, you know, taking risks. Yeah. Uh, Children of Dune was really, um, you know, kind of, kind of right there and then, and, and itself is based on uh, Children of Dune. And then I think a follow-up, uh, a God Emperor of Dune, which were sequels to the original story. So that's how I came into it. Uh, eventually ended up getting the novel, uh, liked it. Um, and then Joe Dorowski's Dune, the documentary came out. Um, gave me another sort of color or context for for that particular story, and I've just sort of been obsessed with it since. 
Uh, the fact that Denis Villeneuve is is doing a movie I think is really interesting. Um, I hated the David Lynch movie. I thought there were some interesting things, but they changed. They added weird details that nobody nobody asked for, and just the overall. I mean, you can't really tell this story in, in one ninety minute chunk. It's just not. I mean, that that's the biggest mistake is trying to shoehorn everything into a ninety minute mm. movie. I mean, this is. They really wanted to do this right. This is a six part miniseries. Um, complete you know start to finish so this i should say too before i jump into the history like this particular graphic novel adaptation i said book one they are doing this in three installments so um the book itself was split into three parts you know the novel was split into three parts and so they're taking each of those parts and just making a separate standalone graphic novel so the next one will come out in spring of 2022 and um uh you will go from there yeah because they have to (laughs) you gotta wait another year yeah, they get they get illustrated. I mean, it's a lot of work. They they're putting a lot of effort in this thing. Hmm. Um, so Dune was a as a, for those of you who don't know, uh, Dune itself was a science fiction novel by Frank Herbert. Came out in 1965. Uh, I didn't know this. I was researching. It was originally published as two separate serials in Analog Magazine, which oh. used to be around back then. So um, published published in a magazine, eventually recollected in a novel form somewhere in around summer of 65. As I said, there has been a history of adaptations, TV, film, books, um, uh, the sci-fi miniseries, like I said, uh, Lynch's movie, the upcoming Venue movie, um, Jodorowsky's aborted movie. Uh, interestingly, too, Jodorowsky's aborted movie, um, and I, for the 900th time, I highly, highly recommend everybody listening, go and watch Jodorowsky's Dune, the documentary that came out in 2014. It will not only change your life, but give you um, a lot more context around this, around just the story itself, and, and what could have, you know, what another adapt uh, adaptation could have been. But um, that movie never happened, and instead, Jodorowsky and Moebius, another artist, went on and made a a long uh, series of graphic novels that are sort of Dune inspired, um, but taken in a different way. And, and one of those was called The Meta Barons. Uh, which is a fantastic graphic novel series, uh, spawned kind of its own its own universe uh, of of stories, and it is very similar in tone and even aesthetic to what this uh, Dune graphic novel itself is like. So I I, I I noticed a lot of similarities, and and granted one inspired the other, but it's kind of it's kind of fun to see the this graphic novel adaptation, not ape. Uh, the thing that kind of it inspired, but sort of just it, it, the circular nature of, of all these adaptations is really, really cool to see. And I'm, I know you've mentioned the Meta Barons before, and, and I, you've, I'm sure you talked about this at the time, but I, in, when I saw that in our notes today, did not immediately realize like that was Jodorowsky and, and Moebius like playing in the Duneiverse. Well, Moebius didn't illustrate that one. He illustrated the Inkall series, which is also heavily inspired by by Dune. Um, so Dune, the Inkall, uh, the Meta Barons, okay. and then another book series I talked about. The um, I just forgot the damn name. So um, you say inspired by? Yes, but it's not. So, so they're not so actually in is, the Duneiverse. When the Jodorowsky Dune movie didn't occur, he had he and his team put all this effort into. Mm. Literally mapping out, you know, shot by shot, the movie they were going to make. They they drew all this concept art. They did all this work, and they just uh, Jodorowsky then started to repurpose it in in stories that were inspired or you know not not part of the Dune universe, but like very much, you know, kind of inspired by the book. And then he takes it off in his own his own place. So the Meta Barons was a huge one of those. Inkle was a huge one of those, and Moebius actually Moebius was one of the illustrators on the Dune movie. And then illustrated that book with him. Um, he worked with a French or Spanish artist on Meta Barons. I forget his name. Um, and then did the Techno Priest, which I talked about on an earlier episode too. So right. all three of those stories are part of the Jodoverse, if you will, but all heavily inspired by the characters and sort of the the concepts you see in Dune itself. So, and then you could even argue Dune not only direct adaptations. And indirect adaptations, but even things like Star Wars would not have existed in the way it exists without Dune. Like, there's a lot of connective tissue in Star Wars. Even the, the planet of Tatooine is very heavily inspired by the the desert planet of Arrakis. So, you don't get a lot of popular things in, in contemporary culture. Even Game of Thrones. Um, you know, a lot of the the way that world is structured and the feudal families and all that is heavily inspired by what Dune does. So, 
it, it's you know since it came out it has done a it really has has captured a lot of of creative culture and it was really you know a lot of people have read that book and then you know kind of used it in their own works as time went on it's also worth pointing out this is this is often referred to as sort of a high point in American literature. Um, you know, it's it's a sci-fi book, but it's one of those that sort of passes the the sniff test for just really good, solid literature. One of the reasons for that, in my opinion, is that the partic- the story in particular really touches on themes that were relevant as hell back in the 60s, but I would argue even more so now. Things like ecology and um, the allegory to the Middle East and its control of oil as sort of the, 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 the you know, you can find oil in other places, but the Middle East sort of has this as a desert, as a desert region, and the fact that it's so important to the the economy and ecosystem, you know, the business ecosystem of the world we live in, very, very similar. Um, even things like, uh, like I said before too, like you know, the Game of Thrones kind of plots and intrigue and you know plans within plans within plans. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of that we're seeing in contemporary storytelling. Uh, Dune was sort of the you know, one of the first things that did it really well at a high level. So we take it for granted now, but but this novel really set that stage. Uh, you know, forty, you know, forty five, you know, fifty years ago. Um, the story itself. I'm going to read a back of the book summary to give you a, a little bit of a, a taste for this. And this is again the graphic novel I'm talking about, not the original novel. Says Dune, Frank Herbert's epic science fiction masterpiece, set in the far future amid a sprawling feudal interstellar society, tells the story of Paul Atreides as he and his family accept control of the desert planet of Arrakis, the only source of the most important and valuable substance in the cosmos. Originally published in 65 and now faithfully adapted as a graphic novel, um, Dune explores the complex, multi layered interactions of politics, religion, ecology, technology, and human emotion as the forces of the empire confront each other for control of Arrakis. So, well, you know, that's, it's, it, you know, this is Dune I've been aware of for my entire life and having you describe it as being like all that sort of interpersonal character drama is really interesting because yeah. that back of the book didn't really uh, hint at that. But so I didn't really know that, you know, I just thought it was like, oh, this is another desert sci-fi thing like Zardoz. Well, it, I mean, you you can mistake it for that, but I think, and then it, but it goes so 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 much deeper. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me give you another. So so it's important, and the, one of the things that really hooked me into the, just the universe that this story takes place in um, is this concept called the Butlerian Jihad, and it you have to kind of know. It, it helps if you know what that is coming into the story because it really sets the stage nicely. So this is a this is a universe. You know, far, far, far in the future, populated mostly by humans, and at this point in our evolution, you know, we we let AI and technology kind of run amok and get the best of us. So at some point, it almost wipes us out. We start, you know, as humanity across the cosmos starts to systematically overthrow AI in what's called this Butlerian Jihad, and even associated technology like calculators, anything that's considered a thinking machine is basically outlawed and destroyed hmm. um, because we never want, it's, it's twofold that we never again want um, technology to, to sort of take, take advantage of humanity or, or control the destiny of humanity. And at the same time, there's this burgeoning, um, you know, desire craving for, for humanity to go beyond what it currently is to, to become more. And so anything that a computer used to do following the events of the Butlerian Jihad becomes a spe- almost humanity specializes to take on those tasks. So you have what are called mentats, which are human computers. So instead of like a computer or a calculator, actual people go and train to become, and you know, they take specific drugs. Um, there's a lot of drugs in this, in this book, a lot of either hallucinogens or like you know, drugs that help your, your brain function better. So mentats take a kind of drug that really helps accelerate their brain function and they become sort of a human computer uh, analog. There are other humans that there's a group of, of, of um, sort of, I just call them uh, Jedi nuns uh, called the Bene Gesserit. And they um, have sort of superhuman abilities. They can move, you know, almost faster than than most humans can. They can think at a high level. They can, re- you know, they can. They're they're very, you know, sort of the. If you really take martial arts and um, uh, philosophy and science and everything to its kind of fullest potential, that's what this sort of religion of of uh, 
uh, of, of, you know, of women kind of create. There's another one called the was, space sink. Oh, go ahead. Were these uh, were all of these like factions and things prevalent in the previous movie and like TV show? Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and if you know all this going in, you're not so blindsided by their introduction. You can kind of start to Got pay it. attention to how they operate and the function they serve. There's one more and there's several groups like this. But one more to, to kind of note is uh, the Spacing Guild. So uh, and this is probably the most important uh, you know, subgroup of, of the story, the Spacing Guild, because we, there aren't any because you can't have A.I., there can't be any kind of technology that um, you know can pa- that that can navigate your starships, right? Um, it's kind of it's strangely Amish in that way. Like if, if if you know the tech, you can have technology, you can have spaceships, but you can't have anything you know tell it what to do. So humanity, another s- kind of slice of humans, evolve and specialize to basically uh, become navigators. Like they're the they're the the entities that can through psychic means control and navigate these starships through folded space. Now, the way they do that is through a substance called spice. Um, Spice is only found on the planet Arrakis. So Arrakis is the key to all interstellar travel in the in the universal empire that that we are introduced to. So much like the Middle East and oil, you've already sort of set up this this cartel of 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 houses that that kind of jockey with each other to control arrakis um when dune first begins the story one such family uh the harkonnens have been in control they've been really shitty to the people of arrakis the emperor removes them and puts uh duke leto atreides and his family in charge of arrakis so when we first open up uh paul the main character uh is packing up getting ready to go and you know we learn he, he and his family they're going to arrakis uh to start again and we're just you know you get the sense right out of the out of the gate there's just political intrigue and, and backstabbing going on like I, everywhere like imagine if every character is peter baelish from game of thrones and you kind of have <laughs> you kind of have how we start dune just with you know plots within plans within plots and you're like who the hell do you trust who don't you I, trust even the characters themselves are like i don't even i'm married to you and i don't know if i can trust you I'm glad you brought it back to Game of Thrones because there's something so amusing to me about the planet Arrakis and Duke uh, Leo Calrissian Le- or whatever Leto. his name is. Oh yeah, Leto, and, and then Leto there's Atreides. just a guy named Paul. That's like <laughs> it's like the Kevin Lannister of Game of Thrones. <laughs> but he's the most important character, like Paul. Well, and and there's reason, like the names. There's actually really good reasons that all the names are what they are. Like Paul's grandfather is is the former Duke Paulus, and so they get a lot of. A lot of mm. you know, kind of naming for things, but no, um, there is that's the, the kind of the final component to this is that because uh, the the galaxy is is sort of um, is, has become kind of a universal sorry sort of a uh, kind of a galactic empire of sorts. Um, it, it unlike the Star Wars empire where there's sort of just one one despotic leader and everybody sort of you know, falls in line. It's more it's much more feudal. You have these big uh, generational family houses and they all, they all participate in what's called the lands rad, which is kind of their, their government. Hmm. And then they jockey for each other with the, you know, with the emperor himself. And so Dune becomes, or rather, and Dune, I should say is the, is the slang name for Arrakis. So when they say Arrakis or if they say Dune, it's, they're talking about the same planet and spice found on Arrakis is the, is the only, is the most valuable substance in the universe without it. Right. You can't travel, and the whole empire just falls apart. So it's very important to keep that in mind as, as you read this book. As you're like recapping and talking about all those things that are good to know going in to kind of give you the lay of the land, do you think if you went in without that, does the graphic novel set it up in a pretty clear way? Or did you would you find yourself confused? It sits up clearly, you know, because it's such a loyal adaptation of the novel. One of the mm. one of my frustrations with the novel is that the first third, um, really is it's it's a it's a tough read you know it's it's well written Mm. but there's just because there's so much like whispers and rumors and the one thing the novel doesn't do as well as the graphic novel in my opinion is that there you get a lot of um, internal monologues for from every character as the novel progresses even the minor characters like you hear them 
you know, mutter something to themselves in their own minds. In the graphic novel, that's so much easier to both track and understand in terms of the context of what's oh. going on. So I think if you don't have those visual aids, um, the wow. novel, the just you know the purely written novel, is, is very hard to follow for the first third. Once you get into kind of the groove and, and sort of the way Frank Herbert writes, it is a lot easier. And then the story shifts rather considerably uh, in parts, you know, in acts two and three. But that first act is a little tough. So I'm glad... Uh, this book one, which follows that first act pretty pretty loyally, um, it, it does set up a lot of the things I just described. But mm. if you know them going in, if you're sort of captivated by the idea that this is a, a, a place in time where humanity has not you know, has really suppressed artificial intelligence and like you know and is kind of you know regardless of your of your family loyalty or, or any of those kinds of things, everybody's pretty much in agreement that we can't let AI come back. Like that's done. Like that that <laughs> no messed more calculators. up calculators. Yeah. That messed up humanity for a long time. So we're not, even, we're not even going to have calculators cause that'll just tempt us to go right back there again. We're going to try mm. to do this ourselves. Um, and just, the, and just to see humanity specialize in this way, like that just knowing that going, I think makes it, it gives you a head start to just really appreciate the sort of the, the political intrigue more and not have to, feel like you're having to you know, figure out your your you know your your wayfinding in the story if that's that makes sense right and do you think that's uh like for some of that communication is it you know is it the design element elements of the book or is it really the art style or how are they communicating those complex ideas and relationships in the graphic novel well let's talk about the art so um Ooh, perfect like i said this has been split into three sections uh, this is very straightforward. I mean, th the thing that struck me right out right away as I was as, you know, flipping through it, even in the store, was, oh, this is just a very, very straightforward adaptation. Meaning they didn't they didn't try to take, you know, huge risks in you know making weird you know sci-fi you know, really weird, interesting sci-fi kinds of uh, you know motifs. Even the colors, um, they use color very effectively, but it's very traditional color. Oh. Um, yeah, they, it's, it, it, they don't try because it's just because there have been all these adaptations. I think there's a temptation to go like, well, this is, we're going to put our stamp on this story and make it of weird course, and cool. Yeah. Um, and because it's Brian Herbert, it's, you know, it's the author's son, uh, manning the adaptation who himself has, has been responsible for a lot of the Dune universe that we know. I think they just, they were very intentional about going, this is going to honor the intention and the, the spirit and the, the word on the page from Frank himself. So everything's very clear, very focused. I think that helps you make sense of it more. Um, and I think it's, it's, it is a lot clearer visually. Y you know where you are at any given time visually. Like, you know, it, it's not confusing in that way. Like you don't think, you know, when they go to a different planet, it's very clear, oh, we're on a different planet now. Or when somebody's, you know, there's, a, there's this conceit in the story, the Bene Gesserit, the, uh, the, like the Jedi nuns I mentioned earlier. Right. Um, <laughs> one of them is Paul's mother, Lady Jessica Atreides. And she, she's the concubine of the Duke uh, only because he, for political reasons, couldn't marry her. But she's his wife for all intents and purposes. And she's obviously Paul's mom. But she's in Bene Gesserit. And she's training Paul in their ways. One of the things that they can do, one of their sort of superpowers is the Jedi mind trick. But they, they manipulate their voice in, a, in such a way to get, to basically command somebody to do anything they want. And the way you hear it described in the novel is kind of one thing. And then you see it done in both the TV adaptation and the, and the uh, original 80s film adaptation. And they tried, they really kind of put a vocal effect on so that it's clear that this is like mm. kind of an, an, almost like an unholy inhuman voice that the person's doing. In the graphic novel, they put it in a black voice, you know, in a, a black speech bubble and it's it that's the only thing they ever do so it's very clear like when they're doing the voice oh that's you know it's reminding me a lot of uh, black monday murders where they kind of have that weird like devil speak and it's that weird series of right. symbols and things and you can almost in your your mind's eye hear what that might sound like if it was spoken out loud kind of like kind of same thing it's just, it was very easy to know oh paul's doing the voice right now whereas in the novel it's a little bit clunkier to kind of figure that out if you're not ready for it sure so I think the graphic novel does a lot to, you know, the, the art does a lot to really not hold your hand, but make obvious what's happening at any, any given time. Um, like I said before, they use color very effectively um, and they use it really to, to establish place and character and mood. Um, when things are normal, when things are 
you know, progressing, you know, naturally, uh, color is, is, you know, also natural. Like everything is, you know, all the characters have, you know, their, their, their regular colors. Um, trying to think of a better way to frame that but like when things are you know when things are evil or if there's a flashback or you're changing planets or your things are becoming more severe everything will have like a shade of red or a shade of blue you know like it'll it'll be very obvious that you're being toggled between either a dream scenario or a um a change of scene a change of place pardon me so i i really like um you know even though they, it is a very straightforward visual representation they did take the you know take the time to make color um you know work in, in the context of the story i do think the accuracy of the text you know if you go you pull up the novel this is basically the book um hmm. they're not you know we're you know the, anywhere that they describe a scene that they can just give you the picture of and not have to like you know say it out loud they'll do that so you know, clearly it's not word for word the book, but all the dialogue is still there. The the, the characters who do the things they do in the book, they, you know, they don't give, you know, a, an action of one character to a, a different character just because it's the graphic novel. They're like, no, 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 the, the Duke said this here. Well, he'll say it here in the, in the graphic novel, you know, whereas in like the TV show, or the movies, like, you know, a different character might have appeared there. They might have moved, right. moved things around in the order. This is very straight. This is, this is the novel. So if you like the no. novel or if you wanted to ever read the novel, but could never get into it. This is definitely the the way to the way to get there. Now you mentioned that um, in the novel, it felt like the first third is a lot of setup. Does it yeah. feel that way in the graphic novel adaptation, or do you, are you getting an arc even in this first volume? You're definitely getting an arc. You know, okay. there is there is clearly a lot of setup, um, and there's still more to come. Right? The, there is. I think the setup in book one is. The political setup. I think the setup in book two is going to be a lot more of the religious setup because oh, as Paul progresses, um, spoilers kind of, but not really. Um, Paul, you get the impression pretty quickly in the story that Paul, the main character, the son of Duke Leto and Lady Jessica, he is, um, is or could be a messiah-like character to the, the inhabitants of Arrakis. Um, there is a, a the the natives are called Fremen. And they live out in the desert. Uh, and I should just, in case it wasn't clear, like this is the whole planet's a desert planet. It's like Tatooine. Right, right, right. There's not a, <laughs> you know, there's barely any water it's, anywhere. It's Dune. And, <laughs> yeah, and and so much so that like you know when you die, you know if you, if you're part of the Fremen tribes and you die, like you, the tribe keeps your water because the human body has so much water in it right. that like that can nourish the tribe. They wear these things called still suits. So. Um, as you're wandering the desert, like the suit can recycle your sweat and, and keep you hydrated. And they're very, you know, really well efficiently designed. So the Fremen have really figured out how to make this um, inhospitable environment a home. And, and along with that, they have kind of created this, this religion. I should also note one of the most important aspects of this is that uh, Arrakis is populated by gigantic, and I mean gigantic uh, worms. Um, like, you know, half a mile long, you know, football size, you know, football field size worms with these crazy mouths that, you know, all these you know, teeth and can even create lightning because there's, there's, you know, so much, um, uh, you know, sand going through their, their, um, you know, whatever digestion or whatever it is. So if you, anytime you see like a worm on a cover of a book or associated with this, that that's, you know, kind of a, a hugely iconic part of the, of the story and the Fremen, uh, treat the worms like deities. They call them Shai Halud. So, um, you know, what the, the people who go there, you know, the different families who control Arrakis, who try to mine the spice, the worms end up, you know, crashing a lot of their equipment and messing up a lot of their stuff. So the, the different alternating families tend to hate the worms. They think they're menaces. The Fremen treat them like, um, you know, almost like, like um, Hindus treat cattle. Like that's, that's sort of the Fremen way with these worms. So Paul becomes very quickly in the story, sort of a, an intriguing character as it relates to their mythology. And then that, be, that you know, I'll, I'll just tell you now, that ramps up considerably in book two. Um, and then book three is much more, kind of that third act is sort of restoring the order that comes apart in book one. So there is there is definitely an arc overall. And I think book one is, is um, a nice setup, but leaves you with a nice cliffhanger of what's to come. That's cool. So it's... Uh, um do you, is it like that? Do you think these <laughs> trying to figure out a way to say this? Is there any possibility that the thirds, the, the three parts of this book sort of stand on their own um, in that arc and story? Or is it 
really integral like uh like you've got to have you know not that you would read the second one without reading the first but you know what i mean like is it um when we think of traditional comic books you might say like oh read the second arc of black science don't bother oh, the first no, arc no, no, or no, something no. like you, that this is you need to read them in order um, oh okay don't yeah. don't try to jump in on this you know when the second one comes out and, and just try and see like this is absolutely um you know, a series that needs to be consumed in that way. Like I, I liken it to, you know, like HBO is doing the adaptation of his dark materials, which I really like. Mm. Um, and season two just concluded. I would never tell anybody to just start with season two. It's it, that's a of three course, part right. series that you have to get in order. Otherwise it's just, you're, it's not gonna make any sense. So Dune even more so because there are so many different characters and you got to start, especially as you get into book two or story you know, part two, you really got to start tracking where everybody is because um, mm. as this war uh, between families heats up, it's you need to know where everybody has been or will be or ha- you know who's aligned with who because it kind of becomes as convoluted as Game of Thrones, right? It's it, right. There are you know there's people tr- you know people um, uh, what do I want to say like there's traitors and then and deceptions upon deceptions and you know, triple right. agents and quadruple agents and just it becomes a little tricky if you're not used to that. So I couldn't even imagine coming into that without knowing the events of, of part one. And so kind of a similar question to that. Yeah. And I, I, I figured that's, that would be a crazy way to read it. Um, uh, but so a similar question is like, at least from this first volume, do you get the sense that this really is going to stand on its own and you don't need to be a fan of the previous movie, the new movie or the novel to just get it? Like, will this be accessible to any sci-fi comic book fan? I would say absolutely yes, and I would say if you have been putting off uh, reading the novel because it's cumbersome Guilty. or it's just not it's just not <laughs> jiving with you, this to me is kind of the ultimate uh, way to consume the story because it okay. makes it it's very clear. It's loyal to the novel, so you're not it's not like you're not getting what the novel intended. It's you know they did they were very good about you know mapping the novel into this as closely as they could, and the visual aids really help. Um, you know, my only complaint is that they didn't take more chances with, you know, trying to to, to make a, a new, not not a new story, mm. but like really put their stamp on what a spaceship looks like or what you know the the royal fan, you know the the royal guards uh, uniforms look like, like things like that. This is just a very standard portrayal, even to the point where I was a little sh- a little surprised when they showed Arakeen, which is the capital, the the new capital city on Arrakis, the spaceport where everybody lands looks a lot like a regular airport in our, our day and time. Um, you know, it's got some extra things, but like they really like they, the practicality of everything is much more heightened. Whereas like, you know, if you take, if you take a spectrum, I think what Jodorowsky was going to do visually would have been at the far end of the spectrum in terms of like just really weird and out there. And you know, you look, you look at some right. of that Chris, that amazing Chris Foss art um, that he was designing for the ships and they're, it's like, <laughs> they're, they're weird as hell, right? Like they're pink and yellow and it's, I've got one hanging in my office right now, but like they're, they're so captivating, but it's like, it's nothing you've ever seen before. I'm, I'm going to take a, a stab and say like, you know, on the other end of the spectrum is this graphic novel and probably the Denis Venue movie by the looks of it, uh, is probably closer to the graphic novel in terms of, you know, hmm. being just very straightforward, but this is probably the most straightforward, um, so that's my only complaint is that they didn't, you know, they weren't more adventurous. However, it, you know, the intention was we're going to adapt this thing as loyal as we, loyally as we can. And if, you know, if Frank has some notes somewhere that says this is what this is the color of, of the Duke's you know coat. That's the color. We'll make it, you know, like if he didn't have a beard, then he won't have a beard. Um, so, yeah, and I would. Wow. I, I totally forgot, by the way, a. Um, a very crucial part of my relationship with the story actually predates the sci-fi series. There was a DV, sorry, a CD-ROM game um, in the early '90s called Dune uh, that came with our very first family computer we ever got, and I loved that game because it was moody as hell. It was it was interesting. It um, gave you a taste of the story. A lot of the aesthetic was based on the David Lynch movie. Um, so, you know, the uniforms and the costumes and everything were, you know, even the sets were a little bit more, you know, made to look like the movie, but it still kind of had its own thing going on. 
but it really kind of gave me a taste of the of the story too. So that said, like I, I kind of wanted this graphic novel to to maybe feel a little bit more like that, which was like, wow, what is this? Like this this feels familiar, yet incredibly weird and different. And um, hmm. I think in in the case of the graphic novel, it just felt familiar. And it's like, okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna get the story. So we'll see as 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 the story gets weirder um, through parts two and three. It'll be curious how they. You know, they, we haven't even seen the emperor yet, um, right. so, or his daughter. And, you know, there's a lot of key, crucial players well, it, in this whole thing. So we'll see. The, the the way you're describing it is like using like conventional sort of, or not conventional, but you know, like understandable uh, conventions of like color and other sci-fi things. It it almost makes it seem like there's no way they're not aware of what you know uh, image is doing with sci-fi. So. Mm-hmm it almost feels like that must have been a really deliberate move to stay true to like an original vision of this. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and especially, especially having a, you know, Brian Herbert on it, you know, must've been like, Hey, let's stick to the original vision. And, and maybe that's just the way to actually to make it stand out is like, this yeah. isn't decorum where you need like, <laughs> you know, a Great codex example. to, to translate what's going on in the frame. Like, you know, this is just a, yeah, this is the story um, Frank intended, maybe. And maybe I'm so glad you mentioned decorum because maybe that's where that's what's what's clouding my mind of this because decorum is mm. as weird and as as sort of abstract as you would ever want a sci-fi story to be. Like it, it it's yeah. always taking you by surprise. Like you can flip a page, you never know how they're gonna like portray a character. It's you know, which is kind of when you're thinking about space and and you know things not of this earth more and more. That's kind of where my my I'm craving that. And I'm, I'm heavily into reading it right now. So like I, maybe I kind of secretly wanted this to kind of be more like Mm. that, but at the same time, it might've made it too convoluted, right? It may have made it too inaccessible for, you know, like you said, you would have had to have that codex to be like, okay, what the, what am I looking at right now? What is this? There's to me, like, and I, I, I like talking about Hickman, like in this theoretical sense, because to me, when Hickman does like infographics and stuff, yes, they're there to kind of explain what you're looking at. Like that is the codex to what may have happened, you know, in the previous panels or what's about to happen. But a lot of times my eye just reads it as like, uh, like, you know, in situ advertising. And I look at it and I go, okay. And I just flip the page and I don't actually read Mm. those things. So I think Mm. if Dune really has those multi-layered like relationships and stuff, and you want to have that intrigue and backstabbing come through in the story, telling it straight is probably the way to do it, you know, and, and not relying on a whole bunch of visual cues to track things like that or not visual cues, but like things like infographics or, you know, other graphic design that pulls you out of the moment. It's probably best to keep you in the moment and just tell it to you straight, you know? True. Uh, but as the, as the religious philosophical oh. uh, side of the story starts to, to, to take, to hold more influence. Cause right now it's a, it's a very political story, but it's about to become a very philosophical religious story. And so like, as that happens, part of the appeal to me is creating an aesthetic that you can, that sort of that sort of almost bewilders you to you know let you shift your perspective enough to take in some of the lessons that the the story you know the book is trying to tell you, like an example kind of a, a comparative example is on the um, on the Boom series the Dune House Atreides series that's going on right now, um, a lot of that are is very similar. It takes a few more risks you know in terms of the design of the characters and even like the almost like the more dramatic angles and poses and things. But each of the covers on the House of Trades series are are uh, illustrated by Jay Lee, um, who I've talked about on this podcast Ooh, before. Yeah, I yeah. love his art. You'll 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 recognize his art immediately if you see it. Like you'll, he's very distinct. Now he only did the covers for Dune House of Trades. I was a little disappointed when I opened it up. I was like, oh, he just did right. the covers. Covers are beautiful, but it's like imagine a Dune where he did all you know all the, he was the the sole artist, like. That could have been, I think that would have hit me a little deeper because, you know, he did, as a great example, he did the um, Before Watchmen Ozymandias uh, book. Yeah, yeah. And he did it all, the cover and, you know, all the all the pages and everything. And I, I'm a huge fan of that book. Now, one of the things that he does a lot of times is his his characters are very detailed and very elaborate, and there tends to not be much set dressing. It's either, uh, you know, a single color 
or you know very flat shapes in shadow or you know just black and white black and red mm. that kind of stuff he really focuses a lot on the characters and i i appreciate that about them i think that would work well for dune however there is a lot of it that you know the world itself is as much a character i think you know so arrakis you really need to see you know, what does the sky look like? What does the sand look like? You know, what is how, what do the ships look like? I think that's one of the reasons the Jodorowsky uh, version of this would have been revolutionary because it, he really leaned in hard um, into that. And he he was making a movie that was almost 100% spiritual, which right. would have, you know, ultimately not, it wouldn't have been, it would have been his version of Dune. It wouldn't have been Dune. Um, and we ended up getting that with his, you know, the Meta Barons and all that stuff that came out. Whereas this, you know, this visually, it's it's not trying to do anything artistically. It's just trying to like here's the story as as a comic book, go, right? And that and that's fine. And again, if it's 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 Brian Herbin involved, like that's, you know, if there's anybody who's gonna have a hand in like really making sure this this is true to Frank's vision, I I would trust Brian to do that. I know a yeah. lot of people would not because Brian has had some, Brian has played fast and loose with some of the Dune mythology in his books that he's written, but um. I still think he's the one who's got the, the best eye towards what his dad would have would have wanted. Yeah. Well, and you said just to reiterate this and you said it at the top, though, uh, digital or print. Oh, absolutely. Print. Absolutely. Hardcover. Um, again, the it's you know, these a lot of these panels function very much like storyboards. But there is something about like the size of the book is re- it's a really good size. The pa- you know, the paper is, um, you know, thick. Uh, thick, really, you know, sturdy paper. The smell of this thing, Todd. Oh my God, the smell of this thing is intoxicating. <laughs> it's. I'm not kidding. Like you open this up, no, and it that's, smells like such a physical a com- book. I mean, it smells like a comic shop is just like you know, inject you know, injected in your nose directly. Like every page turns. Like, I mean, I'm even doing it right now, getting almost like a contact high from this thing. So the physical, I, I think, because it's based on a novel, and because it's it's um. You know, they're really they're really trying to make comics, you know, make the comics medium uh, make the story work. I just I think you, you got to get it physically. And I would even say mm. go to your local comic book shop and pick it up because most of them are carrying it. And it's just a great it's a great purchase to support your, your local shops. I know a lot of times I do say, especially with the more cinematic uh, uh, books that, you know, comiXology or, or spe- specifically cover flow is a good way to or guided view rather is a good way to. Um, consume it and it probably would be here but I would I would I, I, I just I think you're missing out by not getting the physical artifact of this thing cool um I think final thoughts um like I said I it's the most accessible version of the story so if you're if you've been on the fence on whether to read it or you're waiting for the movie to come out grab this I think you won't be disappointed it'll give you the best introduction into this and then you'll have the the template so that if you want to consume a more adventurous version of it you know the david lynch movie exists the tv series exists mm. you know the vanilla movie is about to exist so you'll have other ways to have a really adventurous you know kind of a, um, an artist's interpretation of this this is the this the source material um i would yeah. also say too if you if you buy the physical book um as pretty as the cover is remove the dust jacket because it really makes it feel more like a like a novel and not a graphic novel. Mm. Like it like the mm. cover design is not really comics you know friendly. It just it yeah. you know looks like a great, you know, like a like a Dan Brown book, but it doesn't look like a, a comic book. So I would take that off. The interior cover is, is very clean, very simple. I, I think that's going to sit on my shelf uh, without the dust jacket on it. Pro tip for well, those of you out there, of those collectors out there who are and it, it's funny because, you know, earlier when you mentioned next, the next volume won't arrive till next year, I thought, oh, what a bummer. But in the way you describe the novel and this being like the most accessible version of that, it does sound like maybe it would work to read this and then jump into part two of the novel. So you kind of avoid mm. like, you know, Frank Herbert's like lengthy explanation or confusing explanation of these things or just use it as a primer, like a cliff notes for reading part one of the novel. Maybe that. Maybe that could get me into it, it finally. It works incredibly well as a Cliff's Notes companion. Um, you know, this is going to be a weird, really weird comparison, but hear me out. It it had the same effect for me 
as the picture Bible did <laughs> when I grabbed that. Remember that they used to sell, they used to, like, used to be infomercials on TV for the picture Bible. For those of you who don't know or were not alive at the time, um, some publisher took the Bible and they basically made a graphic novel version of it called the picture Bible. It's on my shelf right now. It's actually pretty amazing to give you the Bible. It's like, I mean, it, it takes all those stories and it makes it go, oh, it, it, all of a sudden this is all super duper relatable because I can see, you know, characters in context um, and everything kind of, you, you get into it a little bit more than you would otherwise. And yeah, you you lose some of the poetry, you lose a lot of the nuance. Um, but if some, if, if, if you were having trouble reading the Bible for any reason, the picture Bible is for you. And then much the same way, this is kind of like if, if Dune itself was just not resonating or you just were scared of it grab this because it will be it's better than whatever movies have come out to date again the Denis Villeneuve movie has not come out yet so we don't know um so it's better than that and it will really I think it will it'll jump start you into this world so if you read this this graphic novel and you hate it then you're not going to like anything that's going to follow <laughs> right it's this well, will be that, your, your sort of chance that's a perfect summation right there you know <laughs> if if this doesn't connect with you Dune isn't for you. <laughs> exactly. I mean, because this is this is as accessible as it's ever going to get. Right. And so I do have one weirdly specific technical question on this. On the cover, oh, the yeah. letters are in these shapes that I would think are almost like circuitry. But I'm curious if that is what that what that is meant to portray or if you know what uh, it is. I think it's. I don't. I, I'm just going to assume it's a stylistic choice. Um, okay. I kind of I love the the typography. Uh, that's, mm. I kind of wish the cover was a little less novelly um, because that 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 typography looks or typography looks really good. You know, it's really hard to yeah. Even with the the upcoming movie logo, I wasn't really into it. It's it's hard to make. You know, to use the word Dune and not immediately try to find a papyrus font or some you know something oh, stupid boy. that's similar. Right. So, like, I commend that they were able to find a very yeah. unique uh, way to represent that word that I haven't seen before. Right. It almost looks like figures. But then I thought, no, maybe these are like circuit board kind of things. So, I, yeah, I'm curious about it. That's always a good thing to do with the title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's It sort of has, I mean, it's kind of got a modern sans serif vibe, but then it's got almost yeah. uh, like ink bleed edges and things. and. Um, I'll let you know if I end up seeing that uh, font represented in the context of the story, that could be interesting. Uh, it might never know, but yeah, I, I highly, highly recommend, you know, we're talking this, I think for the rest of 21, this is just books worth having on your shelf. And this is absolutely one of them. Um, once again, Frank Herbert's Dune, the graphic novel book one, and I'll be talking about book two when it comes out uh, sometime next year. But yeah, pick it up. It's at your cool. comic shops. It's, you know, if you really want to get it digitally, you can, but I would. It's on Comixology. I would, I would advise the physical version. Yeah. And in the meantime, if you want to uh, catch up with what we're reading for our book club, I, I think we're posting these in advance. We're going to try to at least um, uh, follow us on Instagram at panelism.inc. And you can also go to panelism.inc to find out where to subscribe to our show. But spoiler alert, we're everywhere. So you can pretty much just search for us on your favorite podcast app and we're there. That's right. That's right. And we'll be back next time with another episode. Todd's book will be coming up. Do you want to give any teasers as to what you're talking about? Uh, sure. Yeah, actually, um, uh, we uh, we teased it in the last episode and it is going to be Eat and Love Yourself by Sweeney Boo. By Sweeney Boo. Well, there you go. So look forward to that. Thanks for listening, sir. I'll catch you on the, on the next one. All right. I'll see you then or I will see you at another time. <laughs> <laughs>